You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, this series is called The Story of You. And for some of you, when you hear that, you, uh, you have this little check in your spirit. You're like, wait a minute. I come to church to learn about God. And so if you're going to talk about me, I don't think that's exactly what, you know, we ought to be doing. Maybe you grew up religious or in a church background and you're, you just think I'm, I'm going to only go to church to learn about God. Well, absolutely. You're going to learn so much about God during this series. But why is a series called The Story of You important? If you're taking notes today, write this down. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. A lot of people you know, we think we know the commandments and we think we know what God has called us to think and how to practice out our faith, but we rarely include ourselves in that process. We think I'm supposed to think certain things, I'm supposed to act certain ways, and that's what we do. But we watch this example in scripture where both Jewish political parties, you've got the Sadducees on one hand, you've got the Pharisees on the other hand, and they don't even theologically see eye to eye. But both those parties are watching just normal, regular people following after Jesus. He's wooing them over. They're being drawn to him because he is God become flesh. Because he approaches them without judging them. Because he walks with them and teaches them as one who has authority in the scriptures. And they don't know what to do. So they're going to try to come together to go ahead and trap Jesus. So both parties are trying to trap Jesus. And could you imagine for just a minute... That the problem with Jesus in their minds is so bad that the Democrats and the Republicans come together to try to solve what do we do with Jesus. That's the Jewish political picture that you're looking at today. And so the Sadducees have tried it. Now the Pharisees are going to have their go. And they get this expert in the law. He's a Pharisee, one of the most intelligent people alive. Their best and their, their brightest student who knows the law of Judaism inside and out, and they get him to come up with a question that will trap Jesus almost no matter how he answers. And so they come to him, and they asked him, teacher, which is the most important commandment? And just think for a minute, if you had to summarize the entire Bible, if I came to you and said, hey, what's the most important commandment? And you had to summarize the whole Bible, all the law, all the prophets, and you had to come up with one verse, how many of you would like, you'd draw a little bit of a blank for a minute, Right? Well, Jesus doesn't even blink. He didn't even pause. And we look at this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest what? Commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So they ask him for one. What does he do? Gives them two. Okay, you can do that when you're Jesus. You just don't answer the question asked. You give them a little extra, a little, a little on the side, a little bonus. And so they ask him this question trying to trap him. And when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, it has surprised no one. Because that's part of the Shema. It's part of the very essence of Judaism. The very beginning that we love God with our heart, our soul, our mind. It's no big But what he says next is radical. What he says next is completely different. It will change the way you see religion forever. He says this, the first and greatest commandment. And he says what that is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then he says the second 
is equally important. When he says the second is like it, well, that means the second is like the first, that they are of equal importance. Both are incredibly important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, when you and I hear that, we think, I do. I need to love my neighbor more, right? I need to be kinder to people. I need to be gentler. I need to care about the people across the street or the people who live above me or below me. Or I need to care about the people who are in the cars driving. They're not just drivers. They're actually people. And I need to remind myself that, that they're actually people in those cars, not just you know, cars driving badly on their own. That comes later, maybe 10 years from now. But anyway, right now you just look and you go, we have to remind ourselves that, right? Like, love my neighbor. I got to do a better job at that. And we think, of course, I'm supposed to be that way. But the words we gloss over we rarely consider, as he says, as yourself. As yourself. The word you typically miss there is yourself. In the most important commandment, Jesus includes you. He includes you. We need to learn to love ourselves. How many of you would know in this room that in our culture, that understanding and giving grace to ourselves and actually Seeing ourselves appropriately, being self-aware, and loving who God's created us to be is one of the biggest hurdles for people right now in our culture. We're desperately looking for love, right? All over the place, we're going to say we desperately are looking for love, but we need to care about ourselves. We need to love ourselves because we don't know how to treat who we are. How are we going to treat our neighbor? How on earth am I going to know myself and then how I should relate to God? Jesus literally says all the law, all the prophets— are aligned with these two commandments. And the reason that you and I do religious work, the reason we pray, the reason we get up and read the Bible, the reason that we give God's word claim in our lives, is that church, and we go to church, is that it is a relational movement. We do these things not to do them. We're not just doing things to do. We do things to connect. Please, God, when I read your word, I want to connect with you. When I come to church, I don't want to just connect with other people. God, I want to connect with you. Why? Because Christianity is a relational movement. And so we do these things in order that we can connect relationally with God. And the purpose of the practice is to connect, right? If you don't have a relationship and you don't take time to spend relational time, then guess what? You don't have a relationship. Heather and I will at times notch out time in our marriage to date because if we don't connect with each other in the busyness of life we're busy like you and in the busyness of life if we don't connect over time we realize we're falling out of relationship we're going to get distant in relationship and the reason that we date is not to go on the greatest and latest dates the reason we date is to connect what happens is this sin trips us up in our relationship with God it messes up our relationship with him it messes up our relationships with each other even if you're married. I mean, even if you have kids, your kids are going to fight against each other, right? Brothers against brothers, brothers against sisters, sisters against sisters. These people that you're supposed to be close to and you're supposed to love, it doesn't matter. Sin is going to get in there and it's going to mess it up. And you're going to see things differently and you're going to want to fight against each other. That's what sin does. Sin tears apart relationships. Even the most intimate bonds of the people that you should love the most, sin gets in there and messes it up. So write this down, sins affects my relationship with myself. It's not only that it affects your relationship with God, your relationship with your siblings or others, but sin affects my relationship with myself. Sin skews the way that I see myself. You know what sin does? Sin actually blinds me from seeing the real me. 
That's what sin does. Sin is a deceiver. Sin is deceptive. It blinds you from seeing yourself as you are or seeing yourself as you do. You don't understand yourself. You don't see yourself. And here's the problem. If you don't know you, how on earth are you going to approach and connect and love God? If you don't know who you are, how are you going to relate to somebody else? A lot of people, they come to church, they have a real problem with being real with themselves. Like they're happy to learn about God, let me know all about God, and let me connect and learn with some other people. And they're, they're very happy to do that, but they don't know how to be real with themselves. And we get in circle groups, and because we need to connect with other people, we need to see that there are different ways of viewing things. And we come together in that way, but it's a real problem. That people think, I'm going to go into Bible study, I'm going to do this, but it's hard for me to be real with me. Why? Because of sin. Sin deceives you. Sin makes it hard for you to be real about you. And so, your relationship gets limited with God. And your relationship with yourself gets limited. And frankly, your relationship with others gets limited. And guess what the limiting factor is? It's you. If you're unwilling to get real about you, then you're the limiting factor in actually connecting relationally with God or with others or with yourself. You're the limiting factor. So it's so important for us to have to deal with ourselves. You got to be willing to look inside and say, okay, God, what don't I see? Who am I? What is it that I don't see about myself that actually, God, you see? We don't understand this concept called sin. So we've got to go all the way back to when sin entered the world. And if you have your Bible, flip back to Galatians, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, by the way, if you're new to Christianity, or you're new to church, you're new to the Bible, I just got to tell you to buckle up because there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. There's a talking snake. It's just what's there, okay? There are naked people in a garden. They're just naked all the time. They don't know it, but they're naked. And it's just, it seems like a very weird story, but I just want to let you know, this is how God started things off in the beginning. In fact, there's these people, they're naked. They're walking the Bible. There's a talking snake. And this is why you need to read the Bible because there is crazy cool stuff in here. (laughs) But in Genesis chapter three, says, now the serpent, by the way, this would be Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. See, a lot of people, they think, God gave us 10 commandments. But when God first created people, he actually only gave one. You can do whatever you want. You can be all around the garden. You can eat from any tree. Don't touch and don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. He gave us one commandment. Don't touch it. Why? It was a special tree. This was a tree that would give people knowledge of good and evil. And God's been very, very clear. Look, he said, I love you. I placed you here, everything's beautiful, everything's wonderful, and all they knew at this point in their life was good. Wouldn't that be nice to only know good? Like, how awesome would that be? I just, all I know is good. I don't know that there's bad, like, I only know good. Now, we would say, oh my goodness, you're just naive. Well, they were. But God understood that in order to have relationship, there has to be choice. For love to be authentic, there has to be choice. 
You can't just convince someone to fall in love with you. They have to actually at some point choose it. You can't manipulate it. You can't try to draw it out of them. They have to, of their own volition, choose to love. And God understands that about relationship in the same way that you have to choose to love God, that God is making choice available. So in the garden that God created, this perfect environment, there is the choice for evil. And God knows that as soon as you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God because now you go from knowing just good to knowing good and evil. And Adam and Eve were perfect, but they were naive. And they didn't understand that everything was good. They, they knew they weren't supposed to. They knew it was wrong. And so they willfully chose to disobey God. And that is why your life and my life is broken. Because we know God says do this and we choose to do our own thing anyway. When we choose that every time, sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin breaks our relationship with ourselves and it breaks our relationship with each other. That's what sin does. Sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. It'll destroy your life. Sin is a problem that every single person has. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor. It doesn't care if you're young or old. It will destroy your life. And so in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was right, I wish the word right was in there, who was right there with her. Like he didn't say anything. He's like, I'm just, I'm along for the party. Right there with her and he ate it. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And you see, part of what the devil said was true. And isn't that the most dangerous lie? The lie with a little bit of truth in it? Oh, your eyes will be open. But he didn't say, now you're going to know and experience and understand what evil is all about. The most dangerous lie is always the lie with a little bit of truth. That when they ate it, they were going to be irrevocably changed. So the eyes are open and they suddenly discover the shame of their nakedness. Now, they didn't know they were naked. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have kids and you take little kids to the beach, I'm saying like three and under, right? They go to the beach. They don't care about being naked. They just drop it all off. You get them like these sporty little board shorts. They're like gone, little bikini, gone. They just don't care. They just want to run around. They have no concept of like shame. They have no concept of the fact that they are naked. It's just naked party all the time. That's what happens when they go to the beach, right? And they're just running around. But sometimes around like three or four, all of a sudden, this thing happens developmentally for us where we become aware that maybe we're not supposed to be naked all the time. Now that happens if you're three or four. If you're 30 or 40 and you are still thinking you can just be naked everywhere, you probably need to be arrested. But for most of us, somewhere along the line, we realized, we understood that we're not supposed to be naked everywhere that we go. So that's what happens to Adam and Eve. All of a sudden they're like, whoa, something's wrong with me. At that moment, their eyes are open and suddenly they have shame at their nakedness. Genesis 3, 7, and the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you were in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The first thing they do when their eyes are open is they sewed fig leaves together to cover up their own nakedness. 
I want to I show you something. They didn't just cover themselves up from God. The first thing that happened when they sinned is they knew something was wrong between one another. They literally covered themselves up from each other. They weren't willing to be real and authentic and, and bare, if you will, before each other. Sin instantly corrupts us. And right in that moment, they hide from each other first. Then they hide among the trees because God's walking in the garden. Their relationship is messed up. And that's why we struggle in our relationship with God and why we struggle in our relationship with other people and why we struggle because we're covering ourselves up. We're trying to hide. We're not real. We're not honest. We're not truthful. And here's why. Because at the core of who we are, sin has made all of us shameful. We're afraid that if you knew how I really am, then you wouldn't love me. I got news for you. I don't know what you've done or where you've been or what's happened in your life, but God loves you. He loves you. And he doesn't want to cover you with fig leaves. He wants to cover you with the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. He wants to cover up your sin in a way that pays for your sin and washes it away and marks you as righteous and clean as God intended in the very beginning. That's what he wants to do. So God wants to wipe away our shame. So he's walking in the garden. And he's looking for Adam and Eve. And they hide. They don't have a right relationship with each other. They don't have a right relationship with God. They're terrified. They're frightened. And I got news for you. You can't hide from God. Oh, you think you'll cover yourself up with fig leaves. You think you cover yourself up. But there is a God who will pursue you with a reckless love. There is a God who will come after you. There's no mountain that is too big. There is no darkness that's too dark. He will come after you. You can't hide from God. But Adam and Eve didn't know that. They were naive. They didn't know it yet that you can't hide from God. So here he comes walking in the garden. He finds them. Have you eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one I told you not to eat? Yes, Lord, we did that. And because of that one decision, our lives forever have been transformed. They've been changed in a negative way because sin entered the world. And anybody born of the first humans, Adam and Eve, are born with a sin nature. So sin has irrevocably changed what God created in the first place. So we're separated from God. We're separated from each other. Even our love relationships, the person that you're supposed to love so much more than any other person in the world. Think about how many marriages you know end in divorce and maybe that's happened in your life. And I don't stand here in condemnation. I'm just saying, why does that happen? Why does the person that you commit yourself to to say, I will love this person more than anybody else in the whole world. How does that relationship get messed up? Sin. Sin messes that up. And so we try to cover ourselves, we try to hide. Every relationship gets messed up by sin. Even a brand new baby, you look at that little baby and you're like, oh, little baby, you're just perfect and wonderful. I will never get impatient with you. I will never get angry. We'll never have a power struggle. Oh, just wait, right? Just wait. That kid will drive you absolutely nuts. Why? Because of sin. As good as we want relationships to be with the people that we love the most, sin gets in them because you and I and everybody that you know was born a sinner. Here's why you need this series in your life. The story of you will change your life in three areas. If you're taking notes today, here's the first of those three. It's going to teach you and I, how do I perceive life? 
I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't see things all the same way. <laughs> we see things very different, don't we? Sometimes it's because of our socioeconomic background, sometimes because of our gender, sometimes because of our age, sometimes because of our race, but we see things differently. I mean, two people can witness exactly the same event and see things differently. That's why you disagree with the rest. Same event, but we saw it way differently, didn't we? We see things differently. We don't all see the same things. We don't all perceive all the information. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking and he says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's not talking about, do you have eyesight? Do you have good eyes? What he's talking about is this. If you perceive life with truth, if you perceive it well, then there's like light in your body. There's an awakening, a realization that happens in you and me because we're living according to the word of God. We're, we're, we're seeing things as God sees them, not as we see them in our fallen nature. That's good. But if we perceive things differently, and our eyes are full of darkness. If we perceive things with darkness, then how great is that darkness? We don't always see things accurately. Why? Because of sin. Sin affects what we see. Even when we see part of the truth, we don't always see the whole truth. We don't see all of it. We, don't, we absolutely need to be in circle groups. You know, one of the reasons I want our church to be a church not just with circles, but a church of circles is because we see things differently. I need to see what you see. You need to see what I see. We need to understand that there are many different ways of approaching and perceiving life and that your way is not the only way and my way is not the only way. We learn things differently. Different things frustrate or encourage people. We've got to learn how you perceive life and it may not be the way that everybody else does. In this series, I'm gonna talk about how each of us perceives life and this is so important because if your sight is bad, your view of God's gonna be bad. And if your sight is bad, your view of others is gonna be bad. I mean, look in our world today. Like how many quickly, how often we just so quickly prejudge what other people think and feel. We hear an opinion and we just jump on them. They're so different than us. They don't think the same. They must have this intent. And you jump to the intent without knowing all that may be behind it. Why? Because we think we see accurately when in fact we might not. So sometimes Jesus does a miracle, right? So Jesus does this great miracle. Let's say he heals a blind man. And the guy's legitimately blind from birth. But he heals him. And the man who had no sight for years in now his adult life is able to see. And people look at it and they're praising God. Jesus, because of you, the power of God healed this man. Because Jesus, you are God. And it healed this man. And they're praising God. But at the same time, there are other people who watch the same miracle, watch the same thing happen. And they said, it must be the power of Satan that Jesus is using. Same event. Two different perceptions, right? We do not all perceive things the same way. And God, I think one of the reasons that he so often restored sight to blind people in scripture is that he wanted to use that as an awakening for those who already could see that we have to filter our lives through the word of God. We have to understand our story 
within the big picture of God's story. And there's so many people around the world that they're expecting, God, just please make my story the great story. And then they get frustrated with God if bad things happen or you have setbacks or disappointments or things don't work out. And, and you kind of, you, why? Because you're perceiving that God's there to make your story better. I think we see that inaccurately. So in this series, we want to talk about how you perceive life. Not only that, we want to talk about how you process life, right? Because you and I perceive things, but then we process it. We make a decision about what we see. What does this mean? What does this mean to me? What does it mean to my safety? What does it mean to my family? What does this mean to my culture? What does this mean? We keep asking this. And processing is so important. Write this down. It's not in your outline, but write this down. It's not the events that destroy your life. It's the meaning that you attach to them. It's not the events that destroy your life. It's the meaning that you attach to those events. You perceive something, and then you attach a meaning to it. Let's say it's a natural disaster, right? This big bad thing happens, natural disaster, and some people look at that and go, why would God allow a bad thing like a natural disaster to happen to what we perceive to be good people? And so we, we perceive this event, and then we take it in and process it, and then the decision is, and I think incorrectly, the decision for many people is, then God must not be good. I believe they've come to the wrong conclusion. And that's why scripture is so important, that we need the Bible because the Bible challenges what we perceive and it challenges the way that we process. Literally, as Christians, our job is to change how we act and how we feel and how we think. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind. We're to change those things. That's what we're to do. I've got to be different. Why? Because I don't have the eyes of Jesus. I don't think like Jesus. I don't love like Jesus. I don't perceive and process things like Jesus. So what happens? I act like myself. I act like what I think or what I perceive. And so what happens is this. Then I act like my own personality. I act like I want to do what according to my own needs or my own wants. And here's what's sad. Sometimes I even act in a way that I don't want to act because I just don't understand myself. And in this series, I'm telling you, if you stick with us for the next couple of weeks, you're going to learn some things about yourself that you never knew. And it's simply because you began the process of asking God to reveal to you the things that have been missing. So not only do we look at how we process and how, or how we perceive things and then how we process, but we look at how we present ourselves to other people. How do I present myself? I didn't realize for a long time that when I presented myself to new people, I gave them my resume. Because I kind of felt like if you don't know where I've been and what I've done, then maybe you won't like or receive the real me. And so I would just start off. I'd just start off saying, here's what I did and what I've done, blah, blah, blah. I'd talk about myself. My kids are probably rolling their eyes. I guarantee you within about the first 10 minutes of meeting a, a new person in that kind of context, I'd probably mention the word Columbine because that experience for me was such a foundational thing because I just thought, if you don't know where I've been and what I've done, then you might not like the real me. And I was blind to it. I didn't know I did. I'd done it my whole life. That when people are presented with me, it was just something that we do. We present ourselves. Some of you in this room, you present yourself to people as an unfriendly person, even though you want friends. 
You don't know you're doing it. You're blind to it. Others of you in this room, you present yourself to other people as a know-it-all, even though you know you don't know it all. But it's how you and I present ourselves to other people. And I believe God's going to walk into that and show us some things about ourselves. When I present myself to people, how am I being received? And that's the next question. How do people receive me? In this series, we're going to help you learn how to be aware of how people receive you. So we want people to invite God to reveal the real story of you. Make no mistake, we're going to be in God's word every single week. And we're going to ask God to do one thing. Here's our prayer. Would you reveal the real me to me? So here's a prayer. Write this in your outline. God, I invite you to reveal the real me. See, some of you don't accept the fact that there's anything beautiful or good about you. You're just swamped and buried in shame. And I hear it all the time. Like, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. There's nothing about me that's of value. There's nothing about me to love. And I just want to say that's a lie. That God created you in his image. That every single person reflects God's image in some way. And he's given you gifts and abilities. Yes, he's given you beauty and some gifts and abilities that reflect him in a way that only you can reflect him. And yes, those gifts and those talents and that beauty is right next to the bad that's in you and I. There is good. There's also bad and there is ugly in us. And we all have it. Admittedly. There's some things you shouldn't be doing. There are some things that really have gotten a hold of your life that are downright ugly. But if you want God to take a hold of your life and take you to the next level in a spiritual way, you need to be real about the ugly. And again, we all have it. God's not interested in the way that we look on the outside. He's interested in who we are in the inside. So we have to be real with ourselves, with God, and with others. So our prayer is, God, search me. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So this thing that we're going to do over the next 10 weeks is called the Enneagram. I know young people thought I just said Instagram. That's not what I said. It's the Enneagram, and the Enneagram is simply a personality indicator. It's a personality test. How many of you have ever taken, like, Strengths Finder, DISC, Myers-Briggs, anything along the lines, right? Those are tests. Those are things that are helpful. You're never going to find the word Myers-Briggs in the Bible. It's not in there. You're not going to find the word Enneagram in the Bible. It's not in there. It's simply a test. But I want to tell you that God has used this tool. And by the way, it's existed since about the 4th century. This is not a new information. But God has used this as a tool to transform my life to challenge me and change me and reveal the areas where he needs to remove some dirt and the areas where he needs to put some good because I'm allowing God to search me. This is possibly the best tool to help us understand ourselves and one another and grow in spiritual formation. Now, any tool can be taken too far and any tool can be criticized. Wouldn't you agree? Right, you can take anything and take it just too far. And so if you look on the internet, I guarantee you'll find somebody, maybe a religious, overly religious person who is looking at it and wants to criticize it. I looked online, there were some people who wanted to criticize the fact that they said, well, there's nine personality types. Well, nine is an evil number, apparently. And so now they got into numerology, which is just a weird thing in and of itself, right? So they just do this kind of thing. And I just want to let you know that the number of personality types is not pagan. They're going to say lots of ridiculous things. Any tool can be taken too far, but this one has been around for a long, long time and is one of the best indicators for self-awareness to help us point to Jesus, to draw closer to Jesus in a real and authentic way. 
So we're going to use this tool to become self-aware on our worth and bring good to the kingdom of God and the church and the witness in the world. And you will discover the story of you. And as you learn to love yourself, you're able to love those around you more like Jesus. Write this down. The story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. See, you're in my story ultimately doesn't make sense. God's ultimately not going to come along and try to fulfill all your dreams. Our story is going to make sense in terms of his big story. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's where we gain significance that we're so hungry for. So the story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. We don't have to hide from God. Why? Because we have Jesus. He's our defender. He's our protector. The enemy is the one who deceived. The enemy right now, you know what he does? He accuses God of your sins. And guess what? For most of us, he didn't have to make stuff up. We give him plenty of ammo, but we have Jesus. And so Jesus is our defender. He stands before God. And when the enemy condemns you and me, Jesus goes, I paid for it. Paid for, right here. My blood has covered them. I have paid for it because I didn't want to cover them with fig leaves. I wanted to cover them in my blood because I'm the righteous sacrifice. And my righteousness is given to them as if they've never done it. Jesus came to break the shame that paralyzes us. So we don't have to hide from God. He shields us from shame. He protects us from the wrath of God. We can come to the Lord boldly in our time of need. We don't have to go through somebody else or sacrifice something. Why? Because of Jesus. But I gotta be honest with you, that last verse, God search me and know me, it's hard for me. And this will make more sense as we go through this because my number, I'm a number three. And this will make more sense as we go through this series. But as a number three, one of the dangers for me is that I can self-deceive. I don't see myself as I really am. And I can be self-deceptive about it. It means I might lie to myself. It means that, a lot of us, you know, just lie to other people's, but honestly, sin makes us lie to ourselves, doesn't it? It's something we would struggle with every single day. But we've been created with all these lies that imprison us, and God wants to set you free. And so my prayer in this series is that you'll be set free to be who God called you to be, and some of you, including in your marriages. I mean, if you're like Heather and I, you're struggling in your marriage. And you fight again and again and again over the same fight. How many of you have the same fight again and again and again? If your husband or spouse doesn't raise their hand, raise it for them, right? I got to tell you, this tool has helped us. And it doesn't mean we don't fight. What it does, it's helped us understand each other and why we think differently about certain things and why we come at life from two completely different angles. And so it doesn't mean we don't fight, but it has made the recovery time from our fighting or our disagreements better and we understand each other better. It's disarmed the thing that for 25 years we keep fighting over and over and over about. It's good news. It's going to help you look at your kids and understand them. It's going to help you understand why your child thinks so differently than you. It's going to help you and your co-workers. God wants to release you from a prison where you have the same fights over and over and over. So not only will you discover who you are, you'll discover how other people operate. You're going to discover how your kids are. It's the heart of God that you learn the story of you, and this series is going to make that easier. So I hope that you stick with us. Here's God's everlasting way. God, lead me in the way everlasting. What's the everlasting way? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Know yourself. Because you can't love what you don't know. 
And so you're not going to love yourself more if you don't know yourself better. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The story of God only makes sense within the big story. A story of you only makes sense within the big story of God. And some of you are bitter against God because you didn't fulfill what you wanted your life to look like in the past. And some of you are struggling with God because you don't believe he can actually make what you hope for come true in the future. And what we want to do is allow this series to reveal your story within the big story of God. That's what he wants to do in your life. And that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. We're focusing on you getting to see the real you, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I hope you won't miss this series. I truly believe God's going to do an incredible thing in our church, like he's done in our staff, like he's done in my family. And I believe that when we start loving ourselves, we're going to be contagious in a good way to all the people that we meet out in culture and everyone around us that we know and interact with, because we will understand them better. We live in a world where people hate themselves. They hate what they look like, they hate who they are, they hate what they do. And God wants to set you free from that prison. And he wants to set you free to live a life of love. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. Maybe today for the first time you're realizing, I've never realized that Jesus died on that cross for me. That he doesn't want me to hide from him anymore. That he's going to pursue me and he's going to offer me forgiveness and some of you in this room, you've got to trade your fig leaves of hiding and receive the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you. You have to say, God, I receive the blood of Jesus to wash my sins away. And if that's you today, right where you're seated, you just pray this. God hears you in your heart. You just pray something like this. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried and that you rose again. I believe you're God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer anywhere around the room, will you raise your hand? Awesome. Greatest decision you could ever make right over here anywhere else. You might be up in the loft. Thank you. I see you right over there. Thank you. Believers, right now, I just want you to ask, God, search me and know me. Where have I been hiding from you? Where have I been perceiving things differently than you see them? And God, over the next couple of weeks, would you show me the real me? Believers, that's your prayer, even at this time. And so God, would you transform us as a church? Would you draw us closer to you? Because when we get close to you, God, we love other people far better and God, we receive the people that you've created us to be. We love you in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.